You know, one of the questions was, is do you ever kind of get drunk and listen to your shit and be like... No. You're never like, damn, that was pretty tight, no. man. Yeah, right. Maybe I have, but yeah, like, okay. I don't... Okay, Objectively, so... Objectively, if this was not... Literally you, you wouldn't be like, okay. I so, I've always been like one of those people that like, I hear something of my own and I'm like, ah, oh, it's all right, you know, whatever. I, it's not that good. And then like, I'll be hanging out with a group of people and somebody will be like... This is fucking dope. They'll randomly put this shit on, and they'll be like, dude, this was fucking sick. And I'll be like, yeah, I guess it was pretty cool. I was like fucking 14 years ago, and, you know, I'm still doing stuff that sounds like this today, looking at kids like, yeah, it's all right. You know, thinking to myself, like, not that I did it better, and not that I can do it better, but more for the fact that, like, I was doing this 15 years ago, so to me, it's no longer, like, this is so cool. Yeah, well, it comes "Ah, full, like, and so everything is its own full fucking circle. True that. Um, but yeah, I think that I thought the same thing uh, listening to you guys because, like I said, I was, I guess, a fucking fan in a way, and like, and you know, it's just nostalgic in a way. You know what I mean? Totally, and and yeah. it's fucking awesome, and it makes me think of um, just good times and wearing headbands and <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe wearing girl jeans. I don't know. Probably, dude. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was like the thing then, dude. Everybody yeah. was into that shit. I, you know, I, I always been. I think I'm still wearing the same clothes today that I was wearing in eighth Pretty grade. Pretty close. I mean, yeah, I, I, I never really, I I was like the Kmart shopper that wore a plain black sweatshirt and a pair of jeans, and I, I've never changed, you know? Yeah. I've, I've, everything I've done in my job, that's one thing I've never really had to, like, change my appearance because it's kind of on me. I'm yeah. not the kind of guy that's going to go to work in pajamas. Sure, sure. Because I feel like, for me, I'm not motivated to Yeah, work. it's just you are yeah, how you I feel. Yeah, I still have to, like, wake up and be me, drink a cup of coffee, you know, throw on some jeans. Yeah, whatever, but, like... The reality is, you know, I could be a total scumbag. People are always like, man, you got the job. You could look like Santa Claus. I'm like, yeah, I fucking could. could. But, you know, I, I can't. I don't want to be like that. I did look like that for a few years. <laughs> no. I, I don't know if you've seen me in those years. I had hair down here. Dude, um, <laughs> I have a fucking pretty good question. All right. Okay, I'll just get into it right here. Right? Yeah. I mean, because it's a funny point. It's, uh, all right. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. And this is, uh, yeah. Another episode or installment of the Maybe Matthew podcast. Today is Wednesday, October 13th. And today and today only, like it's a sale, uh, we have a very special guest, a badass guest. Uh, I always like saying this, the owner-operator, because it just makes it seem sound cool, of the Nook Recording Studio. And I hope I get his last name right. It's pretty easy. Nick Nativo. Yes, sir. What's up, man? How you doing? Thanks for coming in, brother. Glad um, to be here. And real quick for day. you guys that don't know, the Nook Recording Studio is out of New Lenox. It's been projects of hundreds of fucking projects and specializes in full band recording, solo artist production, which is me, uh, voiceovers, which I assume is like audiobooks and documentaries, uh, video location, which I'm unsure of. I won't get to that. I don't know what the hell that means, but... Um, and obviously, lastly, but not leastly is, I don't know if leastly is a word, but it's not important. It is today. It is today. Mixing and mastering. Um, and Jesus Christ, he used to shred the lost anthology and we'll get to that later. But, uh, yeah, he's here and we're going to talk about some crap. Um, besides that, he, uh, avid smoker, uh, of meats, you know, I don't know anything else. You know, I saw that you do a good 15 pound brisket or some crap. Yes, sir. Yeah. That's a nice hobby of mine. Do a little research. And nice. one thing, and this is what led me into it, is he did have a ponytail that would question Highlander. He'd make Highlander question if he was actually who he was. <laughs> I kind of messed funny. that last part up, but, you know, that you get the goddamn gist. That's funny. Cool. But, uh, yeah, thanks for coming in, dude. See, um, things off, off, good. 
Thanks. Hey, man, I'm glad glad you have me in. Come check it out. Grab a water if you want. You your coffee. Oh, I'm good, man. Thanks. Cool. So, yeah, like I was saying, um, kind of just run run the gavel here. Uh, how's it going? Thanks for coming in. Recording tunes. Full-time. Super full-time. <laughs> yes, separate. definitely over the past few years. Um, I mean, I, I fortunately for about 15 years is the last time I worked a full-time gig. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I mean, well, this is full-time. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, you clocking know, in, so to I'd speak. I'd say you know the pandemic years were kind of like a skyrocket for me at one point. People had nowhere to go, nothing to do. You mm-hmm. know, we were still being safe, but recording music, changing pop filters, as you know, you yep, know, yep. doing what you got to do to stay safe, but at the same time, you know, not feeling like you couldn't go express yourself. Especially, in a lot of people were just. They were stuck. They had nowhere to go, nothing to get it out. You know, stuck is a good way to put it. Right. So that was, you know, definitely a big last couple of years. Um, but honestly, even leading up to that, you know, I've, I've had some slow points here and there. But, it, you know, I've been pretty steadily busy for for the least the last 10, 11 years uh, yeah. since I moved to New Lenox, which would have been in 2010. 2010. A couple of years before that, I was in uh, downtown Lamont area. Nice. And even then I was I was still pretty busy, but I was young then. And, and we'll talk about it later. But that was coming off the Lost Anthology days and stuff like that, nice. where I knew a lot more. People that were out playing actively, and, and honestly, the music scene itself in Chicago was just a different different perspective than it is right now, at least out in the suburbs. And, oh, for sure. You know. It was the pre, I, I was trying to write it, pre, it can't be pre-social media days, because it was it social was media. It was the MySpace days. Yeah, yeah. You know, which MySpace I, really launched sure. that right off. You know, even, you know. even, I guess it was social media, but they didn't even consider that social, I mean, it was just different then, I guess, Yeah, a bit. it was. Well, I'll be honest, so when I was growing up, um, my friend's older brothers, they were all playing in bands, skateboarding, you yep. know doing like the whole punk rock kind of a little bit of metal scene. Nice. And you kind of saw a big crossover from like, you know, at that age, I was probably fifth grade, sixth grade. You saw, you know, you had one side of the world in the, in the quote unquote rock world. And it was like Limp Bizkit and Creed yeah. and Metallica doing Mission Impossible and, you know, all these like, Slipknots and, you know, these Fucking things were coming out and, and, and fresh and different. You yeah. know, they were kind of coming off the grunge. Yeah. And then you had the other side of things where it's like you had your your skate Tony Hawk's Pro Skater soundtrack Here and your Blink One Eighty Twos and your um, you know all these Green different Days, things kind of coming Lost up. Springs were popular, exactly. Yeah, all these different things coming up and like they were they were literally mainstream. They were in the American Pie movie. They were playing MTV, MTV Midnight on. Give um, it to me, baby. Exactly. You know, it, and that was they became ma- mainstream things. Yeah. It wasn't just some underground click. It, it was wasn't mainstream. Off the cuff, yeah. Yeah, and and that Corn. that led exactly. You know, it just again there was. There was two sides, but I was kind of one that always favored all of it. Heck yeah. You know, I never yeah. said, "Oh, I'm on this side or I'm yeah. on that side." I liked all of it. Yeah. And you know, as that progressed, it's like I started getting into you know, like kind of what they what they called at the time post hardcore music, which was yep. kind of like this combination of heavy screaming and catchy melodic singing, sure, which turned into like metalcore, metalcore which is yeah. where I ended up with Lost Anthology stuff. Yep. Which you know, I've being a recording engineer, I've kind of went down this road of it getting heavier and heavier and lighter and lighter, and kind of sure. stayed on both sides, yeah. and I was able to kind of you know, create this big circle of musicians that I've worked with over the years that nowadays I have people recording, you know, solo acoustic records or with a few friends doing some indie rock music that, you know, when they were 15 and I was 19, I was recording their metal projects, you know, and I'm still working with these people today, 15 years later. So, you know, yeah, evolve. Yeah. So things have really changed. I mean, but I remember when I was, you know, 16, there was VFWs, there was churches, there was there was places in the suburbs that yep. were open for, for high school rings. bands and stuff like that for people to come play shows, and it was something for kids to do. It was five bucks, it was three or four bands, 
Uh, the parents could drop them off at seven. They could pick them back up at ten. Pick them up at ten. And sure. you know, sure, all of us got in a little bit of mischievous trouble, like we all did, as you do. But it was still a cons- a place where we could go, Community. and it was like safe enough that yeah. nobody was really getting into major trouble. No. Nowadays, these kids don't have any of that, and I think you know a lot of that has to pertain with the fact that the music scene got a little bit more violent. Um, things yeah. got a lot more segregative, and like you know, this band wanted to fight this band, and everyone wanted to compete with each Sense other. Of scarcity. Yeah, it almost just you know it, it needed a referee, and there wasn't one yeah and so good. things just kind of fell apart and and for insurance liabilities and i can attest to it myself people would say hey have you ever thought about opening a venue and the first thing i'd say is absolutely not do you think i want to worry about somebody breaking their leg or their arm or getting into a fight or somebody getting stabbed and and that's what happened and yeah. all these places closed their doors to it you yeah. know and and it's really bad for the artist side of the community because these kids you know especially nowadays i record a band here and there and not so many young bands anymore and i think a lot of this has to do with this reason sure but I'll record a band who's 16, 17, and all they want to do is play shows. Who doesn't? That's right. that's why you're in a band, for sure. to play for people. Jump around. Yeah, and and the closest show they can get is downtown Chicago on a Sunday at 5 p.m. because that's the only all-ages show they can get. And there's nowhere around here to play. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so what 16-year-old kid is going to have all their friends or their friend's parents drop them off in the city for three hours, drive around? or go pay crazy money for sure. dinner or whatever it is so that their friends can see them play. They can't. So it, it's just falling apart left and right because no one's coming up with solutions. Now, you go outside of Chicago, and there are some of these places still in existence. There are music scenes that are still popping off. It's just that right now, specifically in this area, things are much different than they were 10 years ago, and I'll be the first to say I, I've seen that change even in my own business. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's definitely different since some of the times we've met. Yeah. No, I mean... Even in this, probably within this 10, 15 minute radius, there was Mojo's, there was Sound Lab, there Sound was Lab, Lighthouse, there was you Lockport know, had a couple places. Vine Street VFW. I exactly. mean, Rise Against played it, the new Lennox VFW. <laughs> really? Point. Yeah. Wow. I mean, yeah, there was there were shows everywhere, everywhere you turn, man. I mean, Fallout Boy and Alkaline Trio. These bands Center, were playing yeah. in, in Orland Park all yeah. the time. I mean, it's this is just, you know, there's a lot of history for that scene of music from around here, but it's changed over recently just because there's not as much of it available. It's not that it's it's not out there. There is plenty of it out there. There's tons of artists around here still. It's just that there's not as much uh, exposure going on right now, and it's also not as clicky for the younger kids to go there because yeah. there's not really a place for them to go. Sure. In which case, then it's not growing as a community because they're not all congregating in it's, one place to meet each other. I mean, half my friends that I have today, I met them because I went to a show in Mokina that my parents dropped me off yep. at from Lockport, and I met a whole new group of people that went to a different high school, and exactly. I never knew they existed. Same people. Yeah, right. And And now I feel like, Especially with what happened with COVID. Sure. I mean, you know, even more separate. Exactly. Like kids, you know, they would at least maybe go to their, their own high school football team at the, the closest high school yeah. and go Friday meet some night. kids from another high school. Yeah. They didn't even get to do that last year because of COVID. So or, there's just so much like, I don't want to say it's segregating because it, they're not being segregated. No, here, but, but division at least. People, well, they're just not able to be in a spot to meet each other and interact. So they're falling back to social media, which as we all know, social media is not the healthiest way to meet new people. It could be totally deceiving. People can bully people even worse than in real Put life. Put on that facade, obviously. Yeah, and 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 people kind of like lose make touch this with reality. Pers- yeah, they make this fake persona to try and fit in on social media, and it's really bad for their mental health. And in a world that we've already got enough mental health issues, I think I know? couldn't agree more. Looking for that dopamine hit and 
putting out this filter just and yeah it's just i guess everyone knows the whole i think people just want to people just want to fit in and feel special but like people don't give other people enough feeling of being special one thing that does remind me of too is what elon musk said at the end of the podcast give people a chance people aren't as bad as they usually seem but that also reminds me of a really funny reference you know growing up i used to watch saved by the bell and uh, they used to go to the little uh, cafe all the time, like the whole, it seemed like the whole damn town. And they would hang out and people would dance over there. And like the guy had like the magic trick uh, waiter. And I just remember thinking like, dude, I can't wait to grow up and be like, go hang out at like this cool little thing and like hit the jukebox and what, you know. And uh, it just never really, that wasn't you, it. You like grew said, up and it was never there. Yeah, it wasn't there. <laughs> and like I said, I, we were fortunate to have, you know, what we had. But, I, you know, for the people that weren't in, you know, quote unquote, the scene, you can only go to the mall so often. And now they don't even let you in the day. I was going to say, and now the strict, the strictness on the mall on, on yeah. everything. And, and, and that's what I got to say. You know, I'm, fortunately for me and I'm not knocking on anybody, I don't have any kids. Um, you know, that that allows me to do my job the way I do it, which is very crazy hours. Very, you know, not very controlled, not very you know consistent. And so for me, for doing what I have right now, I'm able to kind of live how I am, which is a little more free to do it. Nice. Not saying I don't, you know. No, it's not not whatever. But yeah, exactly. It's your own path. But I will say this, and I've said it a hundred times, you know, if I did have a kid, I would just not even know where to start anymore because there really isn't these things that that we had. And, And shit, you talk to our parents and you think about what they were doing when they were you know, in high school and whatever, and there was even more things for them to maybe maybe not things for them to do, but they were able to kind of go out and seem to be a more free lifestyles. Yeah. yeah. And you know, the technology is so great that I'm not going to blame it on the, the technology, but I will say uh, that like people have been sucked into the social media, sucked into their phones, video games even. Yeah. And, and it, and it's definitely taken away from them going out and living life. Yeah. And, and you know, that could be in 50 years from now, something we all hear is the number one ties to a lot of the issues that our society is facing today. We'll see. I, you know, I hope not, but like I said, it, it very well could be. Time I've done tell. my best to I mean, try and limit myself from those things and kind of have a healthy balance of working and, and activities and, you know, using the technology yeah, for what it is. Yeah, because, I mean, you use – I mean, that's a good thing to be mindful of because, obviously, you predominantly use technology for your – For you know, my business yeah. all day long. So yeah. what what do you do to counteract that? Do you go out – I mean, obviously, you don't, maybe you sunbathe. I don't fucking know. But uh, you know, I may as well because honestly, I am. I'm, I'm like a grandpa when I have free time off, man. You know, a lot of my free time is not normal hours that that most people have. It'll sure. be you know early morning because yeah. I don't start until eleven or one. Right, right. Um, or it'll be you know I did an early morning job, but then I don't have another one till four. Mm-hmm. So a lot of my free time is kind of right smack in the middle of the day. It's not usually the same time that my friends are off work or right. you know people are just Been generally there. around. So so I've had to kind of quote unquote occupy myself a lot. So I mean not. To say whatever but yeah. you know i spent a lot of time at home doing you know yard projects right, and taking right. care of the house i've learned a lot of different things just kind of from experience you know it's more like hey i want to do this i don't know how to do it i'll watch youtube i'll learn how to do it sometimes i mess it up i redo it sometimes i do a good job i you know do it again it, it's just but i find that i occupy myself a lot doing that and then you brought up earlier me smoking meats i think that was kind of something just again yeah. kind of past time to do yeah. it was kind of i don't know maybe six or seven years ago a buddy of mine had been down to um uh, Louisiana. That? No, what's that? The guy in Austin that everybody goes to. I've never been to his place. Uh, the, the brisket guy. Um, 
I don't know his name, but brisket guy. Yeah, shout out Austin. This big bar. Yeah, there's sure. a big barbecue. Franklin. That's what it is. It's Franklin? called Franklin's Barbecue in Austin. Shout out. And Franklin so it's barbecue. like a yeah, it's like a big people wait in line for like sure, hours, sure. five, six in the morning. And he's like, you know, man, you got to check this out. You would love it. And I'm like, ah, okay, I'll check it out. So I watched this YouTube thing about it. And I was like, you know, maybe let's buy a smoker and just see it. They're 150 bucks. What's the worst thing that's going to yeah. happen? You know? And so I started doing it and I was like, well, this is something fun to do on a Sunday, drinking beer and doing yard work and yeah. whatever. And it just turned into like, the more I did it, I got a little bit better. I got, and it was a challenge and I yeah. like challenges. So for me, you can't. You definitely can't pick up a smoker and try it for the first time and know what you're doing. I mean, yeah. you can watch videos all day long, but until you, until you figure Comes it out, territory. Yeah, and and, and uh, to me that kind of was like recording. You what can record a band. Uh, well, right now I have a, what they call an offset smoker. So it's you know you got a barrel that's that's like a cooking surface, and sure. you have a side box, fire box, pellets. Uh, no, this is all okay. You know, cut down a tree, and nice. I, what I'll do is nice. I'll buy a rip of cherry wood, and, a, and a I'll what? buy a rip of um, like either pecan wood, yeah. or something like that, and I'll blend them together. So I'll do like ribs or brisket or different things with just straight wood. What was and the fifteen charcoal. pound one the other day? So that or one, not the other day, but whatever, that, I did yeah. that one on Christmas. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. a uh, that was just a regular brisket, beef nice. brisket. Nice. But I also like making pastrami. Me, like around um, St. Patrick's Day, I'll take corned beef and I'll smoke that and make it pastrami. Really? And Damn. Slice it thin. That kind of sounds good as hell. Yeah, I like to cook, man. It's something to, It's something else to do. Again, it's a challenge. I like yeah. challenges. And these are things I can do, quote unquote, by myself sure. during the day when I Weird have time at too, home. Yeah. Right, yeah, at home. It's a process. Exactly, you know. So that it's definitely a nice little hobby to have. But I still like getting out and doing as much as I can. I, I like playing golf and doing other different things too. You know, you got to stay busy doing different I things. I saw your Titleist hat and I was like, I wonder if he, I mean, it'd be kind of silly. I mean, to each their own, people wear whatever they want, but golfing's cool. Do you wear, I'm wear not your- great at it, but I have so many friends that got into it. See, I was a golfer when I was younger. My dad was like really? an avid golfer. Happy Gilmore. And so he would take me out on the weekends because as, as my parents started growing farther and farther apart before they got divorced when I was in high school, he'd be like, I'm taking Nick golfing. That was his way to get the hell out of the house. So, so I'd go golfing with him Saturday, Sunday, sometimes even Thursday after he got home from work, whatever, all the time. And so I started getting better and better at golf. And then none of my friends played. And to them, it was kind of like, yeah, golfing. I don't know. That seems like some old Ooh, person. Well, then all my friends turned 25. And they weren't able to play football anymore, ah. basketball. And, and then they, they were like, to drink. Well, you can drink wanna, too? Oh, yeah. And they're like, oh, we could go out on a golf cart and do whiskey shots and drink beer all day. Let's go golfing. So Hell all yeah, my brother. friends got back into golf. So then I was like, well, shit, I'll, I'll get back into it with some of them, you know? Nice. So I'd go out and I, it's still, I'm still not a great golfer because I, I probably would be if I would have kept it up for the 15 sure. years I didn't play. But it's expensive. That's one thing I'm going to say. It's not like it's it killed the bank, but you go out, the average golf round nowadays is 50 bucks. And that's yep. if you're not drinking or eating. Not drinking. Yeah. There's no so, way to not do that, really. Right. Well, I, I mean, you know what I mean. But uh, yeah, golf's awesome. I used to go with my uncle. I remember it was so cool. We used to live in Berwyn, and we used to go out to Hillside. So okay. it was like a world away, you yeah. know. And he was like, he was a crazy fucking uncle, honestly, crazy as fuck. His car was crazy as fuck, and he would go there, and he'd be like, "Hey, when we go there, though, you know, do we have to be prestigious? Not prestigious, but you know, right. act right." Because I was a crazy fucking kid anyway, running around probably. And it was just a cool world, man. It, was, it wasn't like I was faking who I was, but it was like appreciative that like it was just a different culture and the country club culture I've always kind of liked. Not, to, I mean, I don't know. You like what you like. It's cool. It's clean. It's fresh. It's outside. Everyone seems to be enjoying themselves. And Well, they're happy to be there, not at yeah, work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I used to love going to uh, Mistwood. There's one in Plainfield. Yeah. yeah Mistwood mm-hmm. has an awesome driving range. They got a really great restaurant now. I, that's literally half and half. I was literally about to say I'd go there and uh, they have the one in back, you know, the clubhouse or whatever it's considered, and get a thing of fries. They put these pepper fries and I would hit a thing of balls and it was awesome. 
Yeah, good times. Yeah, I still even here in town at Sanctuary because my studio is located like off the backside of the Sanctuary. Like mm-hmm. if you go if you go off the Sanctuary, the third or fourth hole, the par three where you hear all the damn roosters. Yeah, that's where my studio is on the backside of those woods. So uh, do you ever find balls in your yard? No, I'm not that close. Okay, okay, no, not that close. And if they hit it into those woods, they'd have to really crank it over the woods to even get to my neighborhood. But but that's where I'm at. I'm not far, and you can hear them, you know, doing all the uh, banquets and stuff like that on the weekends from nice. from my front yard. But anyways, yeah, I used to go over there and just hit the driving range there quite a bit. Even for five bucks, you can give you something to do for when you got an hour to kill between work or something. Yeah, you know? yeah, I liked it. Um, and they got a dollar seventy five beer still over there. At least they did. So nice, you can't beat nice. that. I mean, who in New Lenox has dollar seventy five beers other than the White Horse? <laughs> there you there you go. Oh, you know what? This is um, funny. This episode is brought to you by... I got... got, uh, Where's the CBD? Dolorac CBD. I'll give you some. It actually works. It's like uh, Icy Hot, and uh, it's all natural. (laughs) I mean... And um, I give it to my dogs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's good for dogs, so you can take it. And if you're getting, you know, if anything happens, I'm not really liable. But you know, <laughs> you heard it right here. He's not hey, liable. My, yeah. And then, um, and it's so funny. Um, saferwholesale.com. I forgot what he freaking told me, but it was something along the lines of they're gonna they're gonna drop me as a sponsor <laughs> the first day. Saferwholesale.com. Fun. Motorsport items for less. I'll come back and do it. It was more of a funny joke, but um, let's see here. Uh, you're a rocker. Did you always start a rocker? Uh, yeah, I'd say so. I mean, I remember when I first really got into listening to music, um, one of the things that I was very, very, very particular about was that, you know, I didn't really like anything that my mom listened to, my mm-hmm. dad listened to, or my piano teacher tried to teach me. Okay. And so okay. I refused to do anything that they said. And, and that was, to be honest with you, that was like the start of me really becoming where I'm at now. Because I, I remember I was like in fifth grade and... Can I quote you real quick? Yeah. Does this lead into, maybe you might have said this, punk rock is, is your religion? Uh, yeah, maybe. Could you, could you maybe see yourself saying that? I could probably see. I, I had this horrible t-shirt that I bought when I was in sixth or seventh grade and it said punk rock is not a crime. So I'm, I'm going to lean more towards <laughs> punk rock is not a crime. Okay. You, <laughs> uh, you posted a, uh, outcome the wolves, uh, thing on your Instagram yep. 244 weeks ago. Yep. And it said punk rock is my religion. Yeah. Well. And I saw it and guess who commented on it? Me. Did you? Yeah. 244 weeks ago. Wow. I didn't even realize that. Yeah. No, that's me neither. Funny. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so my girlfriend and I, we, we both are really big Rancid fans. That's one thing that we are like, I wouldn't say that's what got us together by any means, but Which, it's what kept us together. Yeah. Well, we've definitely always liked Rancid ever since, uh, man, I don't even know when I, I'd say when Rancid kind of brought their, their uh, Ivy, uh, almost. the Domino's fall record back when it, I'd say probably in uh 2008 or something like that. Yeah. When they kind of, they resurfaced at that point. That's when they got a new drummer. Yeah, the guy from the Used. Yes, and do, 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 um, exactly. Do, and I don't personally do, know him, but uh, our our best friend Jamie, she's like best. They're really close friends with his cool. wife. So it's yeah. kind of it was kind of one of those things where at the time everybody's like, "Hey, I know this guy. He's a drummer from the Used. And he just joined Rancid." So anyways, we so we're listening to Rancid, and uh, that was just like one of our things at that point. You know, it was like we were we were just all about Rancid, smoking bongs, you know, yep. whatever. I, I, shit, we were fucking. 18, 19. Dial 999 if you really want the truth, obviously. But no, I've always liked punk music for sure. Um, But anyways, going back to where I was at. So when I was like in probably fifth grade, Mm -hmm. maybe it was probably third grade that I started piano lessons. Well, you know, they would want to teach me all this piano music. Moonlight Sonata. 
just in general. And I, I would tell him, I'd say, I don't, I don't want to take another lesson. I don't want to do any of this. It all sucks. Right. You know, and, and my dad would listen to like, oh man, he still listens to horrible music. He, he, <laughs> I, it's not that it's horrible. They're just not, they're not my taste. My dad sure. would listen to like Reba McIntyre. You what know? the hell? Like, exactly. Like my dad was listening to chick music. You I know? was going to say, you know, and nothing against chick music. No, by I the mean, way. it just, you know, coming from like, you would assume your dad was maybe a rocker and be no. like, boom, boom. You know Nobody I mean? in my family at all is anything like me. I am, I am completely, if you see, I saw one of my family parties, it's like, there's me and then there's everyone else. My youngest sister has Down syndrome. She's the closest person to me. She's crazy. She, yeah. I mean, she's like, I walk in the door and she's like, let's drink cocktails. Let's do <laughs> shots. Now, granted, we don't give her co- real cocktails, but we you don't. Know, a cranberry and seven up is her version of a cocktail. That's all she wants to do is rage. You know? There you go. But no, yeah, I, I definitely do not come from a rocking background, but um, I am definitely a 100% rocker. What I were guess. your first uh, few bands that kind of transitioned you into maybe playing music? Oh, man. Well, I stole ACDC live from my oldest stepsister when I was like in third grade. That is such like a behind the fucking music thing to say. And, uh, Dude, I put it on and I was like, man, this, I remember listening to like Hell's Bells. It was the first song on that record. And like one of your notes had, you had written me, it was like, is there a record that like the production sounded really good right, that yeah. got you into this? And we'll, yep. we'll get to that. But you know, one thing I'll say about that record was like, I had heard of ACDC songs. Everybody had sure. at that point. I was, you know, I don't know, 10 or yeah, something. Yeah, you knew it without even knowing. Right. Everybody had heard them. But you know, the recordings that they had in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And then you hear this like live version from 1992, and it was like somebody gave them steroids, right? You know, and that was so that was the first time turned the heard, tubes on, exactly. You know, and, and it just like that blew me away. The guitar tone was like you know that, and it was you know, and again like as I progressed and I got a little older, like I heard so many different things, but sure. like at that point, I mean, dude, the guitars, the, the album itself, it was a live album, but it just it had this fullness and this tone. I mean, it it, it smoked Ride the Lightning, it smoked. You know, Zeppelin oh, yeah. Four. It, it put all those records to shame as far nice. as the sound quality, because it was like all those same songs, but live twenty years In later with modern technology. And yeah. at that point, like I hadn't heard a a live Metallica record or a live, you know, Led Zeppelin thing. And even if I did, it didn't sound that good. Right. And so to me, I heard that and it just blew me out of the water. Now, it, you know, even to this day, I'll put that on and I'll still be like. That guitar tone riff. Which one? One more time. This would have been ACDC live. Okay. So, I mean, that would have been like, um, I think it was '92. All right. I mean, they've put out 300 live albums. Sure. Too, so yeah. At this point, I don't know what it is, but right was, around '92. Yeah, it was the it first was like one, probably. One the, yeah, probably their first one yeah. that they did, and that was like right before. Um, they kind of started. I say I hate to say they ever went downhill, but they pretty much Dude, never did another big thing. From after that you point, become sixty, you know? what the fuck? Yeah, well, you know. I mean, you know what I mean. I'll be honest. I saw them at Wrigley Field. Yeah, and, and I don't know, sixteen, fifteen. Yeah, and dude, that that was probably the loudest show I had been, other than Motorhead. Motorhead really? was definitely the loudest show I've ever been, and I've been to a lot of shows. You sure, know? and it was just. It was it was ripping, dude. So they, I'd still give it to them that they they performed well. They just they just never really had great songs from that point forward, sure. you know. And I, I'm still a fan of their original stuff more than anything. And is uh, that one of the records, or is there there is there a point in your you know mu- music career that made you transition to guitar, or did you start a guitar? Or yeah, I started. You a start guitar. singing first, maybe. Mm, well, okay, so I mean, everyone starts singing, but like you know, like, my best friend and I at the time, you know, we uh, we both really just wanted to be in a band. That's cool. all we wanted to do, and so. Cool. 
you know, I cut about 45 grasses in the neighborhood and got nice. $10 for each one. And eventually I had 400 bucks and I went and bought a guitar at the music around that was in Orland Park before nice. they closed been there. years and years yeah. ago. Yeah. Yeah. Been there. So I went and bought like a starter pet, you know, it was like a, Stratocaster ripoff yeah, yeah, with yeah. a ten watt amp, and yep. I think I bought a distortion pedal. Been there, and uh, you know, and so I got this guitar, and he was kind of fiddling drums, and then we found somebody else that played drums. So then he was like, "Well, fuck it, I'll get a bass." Nice. You know, so it was like we had a three piece band, and, and nice. you know, we were like in sixth grade, and yeah, I think we perfect. played we played our first show actually pretty close to where my first studio was downtown Lamont. There was a coffee house called Al's Cappuccino. It's definitely not there anymore. It's been right. on for many, many, I think it was only open for two years. Lamont's awesome though. But uh, man, we had a lot of fun, you know, doing that. I mean, shit, when we were there, we probably were in, I think we were in seventh grade. Would you play a couple show. covers or all originals? I think we played like three originals and three covers. What covers? Do you yeah, remember? Man, I, I'd say if I had to guess at that point in time, yeah. it was probably like an Alkaline Trio song. I was about to say Alkaline Trio. And uh, man, who else did we really like? I was just time? a stupid kid back I then. I think we played Nose Over Tail, actually. Really? Uh, yeah, we, we, get, we always liked the old stuff. You nice. know, but... But to be honest with you, I don't really remember all the songs that we did. It, no, yeah, I was just kind of hoping. No, yeah, I wish I could remember, to be and honest. And then you were singing then. Cause... Yeah, so, I mean, nobody else would sing, so I just said I would do it. And this is all <laughs> coming out of Lamont? Uh, yeah, I mean, well, this was our first show playing sure. in Lamont. Yeah. Well, and where are you, were you in? We, where, we all grew up like, here, what, like Lockport, unincorporated Lockport, sure, Homer sure. Glen. You know, it's kind of like all that. Dave kind of said Lockport. Area. He's like, we were a Lockport kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. Like well, that. I mean, Dave and I grew up in the same neighborhood with all these other guys I know. All so, right, I'm going to lead this to you then. What's a terror shark? A terror shark. You ever listen to Municipal Waste? Yeah. Okay. Well, not yeah. really, but he said you would maybe be able to elaborate on it a little so, bit. Well, okay. Or maybe you wouldn't want to elaborate. Municipal Waste is this this thrash band from Richmond, Virginia. That, sure. Uh, I stumbled upon at a show. Man, I was probably 18. And they had been around. I mean, it would, they had just released the Art of Partying record, which I want to say came out in 2005. So mm -hmm. that would probably put me about 17, 18 years old. Yeah. Um, and I stumbled on them at a show. I, I, we went to see this band called Cold World, and um, I had no idea who Municipal Ways was. Sure. So we show up, and the show was actually at, um, I think it was, I don't remember what the place is called originally, but now it, then it became Stage 83, and then it was like the Jaguar Club. Oh, yeah. It was that whole bend there on Archer. You know what I'm talking about? Stage Route 83, 83. Yeah, I played off. Freaking, yeah. it, it used to be called something Gorilla else. Gorilla Productions, I played there for yeah, them. Yeah, it used crazy. to be called something back in the day, but I can't yeah. remember what it Stage was called. Stage 83, that's funny. It's Stage by the, by the bridge. Kind of, yeah, probably the one name that anybody around here might remember, but yeah. it was exactly. It was around the bend, like yeah. on Bell Road yeah. and Archer. And so we went over there to go check out this Cold World show. And, mm -hmm. you know, this place was, I don't know if you've ever been there, but it sounds like you had. It was a huge bar. Right. But kind they had all ages kind of shows. Yeah, but they, this was a mixed show. So you could, you could drink if you were over 21. Yeah. You couldn't if you weren't. Well, Man, I was there, and all of a sudden, this municipal waste band comes on, and and I never seen something like this in my. I mean, I'd seen videos online of sure. crazy shows, right? But this band, I mean, they had people fucking jumping off the stage with shark fucking costumes and beer bottle costumes, what and the? doing beer bongs on stage and what? fucking jumping from the rafters. The place went insane. Never saw anything like that in my oh, life. Yeah. And I realized, you know, this is like so much energy. This is more energy than anything I've ever seen. I, this is the best. Oh yeah. So well, of course, this this band was all about doing shots, getting fucked up. Sure. The, and the record literally was called The Art of Partying. And cool. that's what they were out promoting on cool. this tour. Yeah. So, of course, what do I do? I go home and I buy the record. Right. Well, that turned me into an animal. Yeah. You know, for like two years, I was like <clears throat> this crazy maniac, like 
listening to these songs, slamming beers, like shoving beer bongs in people's throats, making them do beer bongs. Thank God COVID wasn't around then because it was like, hey, let's all drink this beer bong. 50 of us would do it. You know, but anyway, so it turned me into an, an animal for a long time. And Terror Shark was like this hit song off their, their earlier album. Right. And so he's just referring to these days that we used to have way too much fun and do way too many crazy things. And Terror Shark would be uh, the center stage around it. I got a tattoo on my leg about the whole damn thing. Are you serious? Yeah. Pretty- and and to freaking think I was almost not going to bring it up. Oh, yeah. No, no that's yeah. funny. That's, that's good. hilarious. Well, there you go. Yeah, I was going to say, because I was like, what do you want me to ask him? You know what I mean? There you go. Um, so we're talking about influences and we'll lead right into where like kind of leading into songwriting and developing vocals and everything, which leads in, do you know, well, I mean, I'm sure you do. What's the name of your first band that you're in? Do you remember? Yeah, it was called Next Step Chaos. Next Step Chaos. That's yeah. such an awesome first I band guess, name. I guess, yeah. We came up with that N- one. And then here's the best story of this one. We were like fucking sixth grade when we came up with that name. Yeah. And spell check didn't exist. Okay. So, I mean, it did, but we just, whatever. It wasn't. So at that time, you know, not like it is today to make stickers. You couldn't find somebody online. Right. At least you probably, we didn't know anybody. We were fucking so. sixth Maybe, grade. Yeah, not None like of us even now. had the internet. I think we had, my buddy had dial One up friend internet. had the internet. Yeah, yeah, he had AOL, right? Yeah. And so we weren't finding somebody to make stickers for sure, us. Let's sure. just be honest. Yeah. So we went to Office Max and we bought all those pre-made, um, like, labels that our parents would use you know to send a fucking envelope in the yeah, mail yeah, yeah yeah and we we took like some shitty font and wrote next step chaos and like made the background blue and black and shit nice. you know we made our own fucking stickers yeah you we're know. doing our own fuck yeah you diy guys. fuck yeah, yeah we're fucking in sixth grade we're from right? the streets anyway <laughs> so anyways <laughs> we go and buy all these fucking labels probably spent 25 bucks which at that time you know we mowed a couple it's like 100 bucks yeah plus our parents were ready to murder us because we were using all their damn ink yeah oh yeah so yeah. i think we had to probably go buy been a there. couple things of ink you know been there and we, got, we print out all these next step chaos stickers and fucking my dad comes home from work and he looks at us and he goes you guys are dumbasses. <laughs> you spelled chaos wrong it's it's C H O A S is how you spell that or A O S is how you're supposed to spell. I probably right. still can't spell it, man, but sure. chaos C H A O S. Yeah, and we spelled it C H O A S and printed out like 500 speakers or uh, stickers. stickers, stickers. Yeah, so we, had, so we had to go redo them all. You but, know, right after yeah, that. At least so they're both was, O's. You can, like, we can story. fix it. We can fix it. They're both. Somebody kind of probably still has one of those stickers laying on their fucking guitar case or something. That's a good time, man. Yeah, that's. Yeah, we've all been there. <laughs> Going to the office mags, print out your own CD covers. We'll Shit do. was different, man. Yeah. You couldn't post it on Instagram and let people share it around. You yeah, know? you had you to had be to go like out there and do it yourself. Slang them. I got in big trouble at uh, Homer Junior High when I was in seventh grade. We graffitied the whole damn school with flyers for people to come to our show. We, of course. You know, we smacked them on every fucking window, bathroom, every locker. locker yeah. Yeah, whatever. And, you know, the Dropped first them thing, off the stairs. They, yeah. And the first thing they did was they took us on to the principal's office. And they're like, you guys can't be doing this. So we did it again. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> and guess what? We had 300 kids coming out. And, you know, as that turned into Lost Synthology. And, you know, I, there was a couple bands that went to Lockport High School with us. Sure. But I would say that realistically, you know, we were definitely – People knew who bands were at that point, and you know, not to say everybody loved our band or loved bands in general. Sure, but even people who didn't go to shows, didn't care about bands, didn't like bands, they knew who our band was because we had fucking graffitied the school and promoted it so much. So you know, we did a good job getting out, getting the word out there. Guerrilla like, promotion, nowadays, yeah. Well, there's bands nowadays. You know, it's like they don't they don't do that shit, and I'm not saying that they should, but. 
Again, they didn't. Different. They don't do it. They didn't go out and fire. They didn't go out and Flyers, annoy people. They just out. they thought MySpace and Instagram and Facebook were going to do it for them, you know. And and that's I think you know part of the change in the world that today is too is because it really does make a big difference when you go out and physically hand something to people, yeah. physically talk to people, and say, "Look, I'm in this project. This is what it is. Come on, fucking see Come me. Come check it out, right?" And just we're like badass, just like you're doing with this this podcast, yeah. you got to physically reach out to people and say, "I'd like you to come be my guest. I want you to come talk." Because yep. if you don't do that, people aren't going to find you. Yeah. They're not going to say, "Oh, I, I found you, and I think you're you're the greatest thing that ever happened, and I want to come give you more exposure." They're exactly. not going to do that. No, you know? I remember my dad used to be like, "No one's going to come knock on your door and be like, hey, did you want this dream job?'" It'll never happen, right? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. You got to take risks. Yeah. You do. For, and, fortune and favors the bull. Some people are going to tell you no. And, and you know, some yeah. people tell me, oh, we don't like this mix. We don't know what we're going to We think we're going to take it somewhere else. Okay, do go it. ahead. Yeah, I, yeah. You know, I, I can't lose sleep about that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, no. You know? Yeah, it just, if you're doing things for the right reason, it doesn't really matter anyway, you know? Right, right. Yeah. And then, um, so the Lost Anthology and mainly, you know, I would want to ask about how you developed your, before the band, how you developed your vocals. I mean, because you're predominant, I mean, you be predominantly scream. Yeah. Well, to be honest, it was because, one, we never had anybody who was willing to try singing. Right. Then I couldn't really sing good. So then I didn't know what to do. And sure. then all the music around us started getting heavier and heavier and screamier and screamier. And so I was like, well, fuck it. I'll just scream more. Sure. And honestly, I still have no training. I think I've blown my voice out. Yeah. You know, like literally, I haven't talked the way I used to talk in probably 15 years. Was there a... And if I talk too much, like at the end of today, I will literally like have like a weird sore throat now. So I've probably damaged it, but I don't. Damn. I just don't care. I smoke so many cigarettes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, total off topic, but like the last Lost Anthology record we did, I recorded nine songs, which this may not sound, you know, like something to anybody else out there that doesn't do tracks, my job. Though. So in, in in my profession, I would prefer to do like one to two songs per session. Sure. So if I'm doing a nine song record, I'm going to see you probably anywhere from eight to ten times to finish that record. Right. I did the whole thing from two in the morning until ten in the morning running on a bottle of whiskey, a bunch of throat spray, a bottle of honey, three packs of cigarettes, and a ton of beer. Yeah. And I just mixed them all up horribly and did that for like 11 hours straight to really? get a record done and then had to drive 12 hours across the country to be somewhere else. Damn. So, yeah, I um, I definitely did not do things the way I should have done things. The proper way, quote Right, and I, and I know I'm paying for that now, and I use that experience to push that on my clients. But at the same time, you know, there's also a certain part of me that thinks that there was like a a heart in that yeah that, like some things nowadays lack go because it's go so controlled it. nowadays yeah, yeah going for it or and i think that's something about all music though like if you you know like in my experience everybody who records nowadays everything's so mechanical yeah you know everything's got to be perfect the sure. drums got to be perfectly tight yeah you know or or the beats like already programmed to it you know, perfect Lame. timing yeah, or whatever way, it's your own thing but you know yeah. well yeah but at the end of the day like that's why people were more successful. I feel like at one point, you know, they stood out because they were them. You know, yeah. even in the that's why you need a good producer. Well, I mean, yeah, definitely producing makes a difference. But I just think in general, just the vibe. I mean, think about it. Nirvana is probably like the end of that era. Maybe a little bit of that new metal, but yeah. like that's when it started to cross over. Like yeah. the machine started to take control. Pro Tools and computers started to like run the recording sessions more than yeah. the producer telling the band. Okay, it was all right, but get mad and do it again, and and like firing them up to like 
you to know, a better performance. You know, you know who I keep doing the, and that's my favorite producer anyway, but I keep thinking the same name over in my head. Maybe the last one, Ross Robinson. Sure. Yeah. The fucking man. Yeah. That guy, he would get a performance out of Jesus Christ. Right. Not even well, questionable. Right. And, and you know, that's, there's a certain aspect a, of being a producer that yeah. you got to get under people's skin, but to have them know they can trust you. Because even with me, I mean, we've talked about this in the past, but yeah. not on on air here. That you know, with what I do, it's it's so like I'm I'm touching people's personal feelings sure. about everything. So yeah. you know, I'm I'm kind of acting as as a mentor, but I'm also acting as like a coach, but I'm also acting as like a you know some kind of in between of a therapist and and somebody who's firing them up and pissing them off on purpose. You yeah. know, it's like trainer. A, yeah, and 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 it, it you have to find that blend. You know, and, and a lot of times I've got four people who are their best friends sitting behind me and right. I'm able to talk to them and get through to them. And they're like, we don't know how you're doing it. And I'm like, well, because one, I'm an outsider Two, sure. they're going to take my experience a little bit more serious when I tell them we should change this professional or, confidence. Sure. But at the same time, sometimes I got to fire them up and be like, hey, you sound OK, but you don't sound mad at all, man. You know, right. what is this song about? Yeah. Well, think about that and get more pissed. Do it again and kind of just get more attitude at them, you know, and. and and kind of let go of that button and then kind of be nice about them behind their back. Do you ever make people do it a, a few times even though it was, well, yeah, that's what I would do. I would just tell them if they're getting mad at a lot of screamers, be like, just, I don't know what I would do. That's a good, yeah, that's a, I just totally blew my mind for a second thinking, putting myself in your position. I remember being there. I used to do vocals and it's <laughs> like this, you know, just hearing this, let's do that one again. <laughs> you know, yeah. like I like that one, but it wasn't that good. So you're going to do it again. Right. Well, there's definitely that part of it that's always a little challenging. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, I mean, I feel like at that point, I just try to always doing what I do for a job. I just try to make the best of that at all times. Right. You know, I mean, to be honest, I, you know, every week I can I, I run into something where it's like, eh, this idea is not really great right now. But I find a way to kind of make the best of it or I find a way to redesign it with them. And, you know. I might still walk away from it and listen to it three months from now and go, I don't really still like that idea either. But at least at the time, we made the best of the situation. Right. And hopefully they learned something, I learned something, and we move on. Because, yeah. you, you know, people who get stuck on a song or an idea too or long. Or style or... You know, the problem is some people can't break that. Right. But I feel bad that they can't because as much as I know I can't change them... I know that that is their biggest weakness. Sure. You know, when you get stuck on something and think that's the great, like I have clients who, and I hope none of them listen to this, but you know, I have clients who literally will come to me and say, I hope they listen to it. Yeah. Well, you know what I, I mean? know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wrote this song 10 years ago. It really needs justice of a modern recording. What? Okay, dude. Well, you wrote the song 10 years ago. Nobody liked it then. Nobody's going to like it now. You right. know, and, and the reality is you need to just keep writing new songs. Right. You shouldn't have been spending the past 10 years thinking about that song you wrote 10 years ago. You should be spending the next 10 years writing new songs. And, you know, people, there's a lot more people in this world than you think that have that mentality. And it's weird, but I run into a lot of them. And it's I so, can see it's, that. yeah. So it's kind of one of those things where it's like you have to be really careful in, on how you tread that water. But um, it really is a thing, like, for me to try and tell people, like, look, you can come up with an idea, but don't get hooked on it. You know, it, right. it's just an idea. I, you know, I have a hundred ideas a day and that's some a, of them are stupid thought, and I actually. let them go. And some of them I pursue a little bit more and some of them I, I really get into it. Some of them I just kind of say, ah, whatever. It was fun for what, what it was. That's very helpful you advice, know, actually. It, it's the best advice you can have being an artist because. Yeah, that helped me actually. It's like it's directly. Good. Yeah. You know, and, and, and it's literally because. Your brain will never stop thinking of ideas. Right. But if you stop your brain from thinking ideas and get stuck on one idea, sure. you'll never break through. Right. You'll be right. stuck. Yeah. And and you know what? In a weird way, like 
when you put an idea on hold and just walk away from it, sometimes when it's meant to be, it'll just kind of find itself right back on the table when it fits Sleep into on it, the so right speak. thing. Yeah, yeah exactly. When it fits into the right thing. Especially believe in like, you know, not karma, but the universe and the flow of things and and uh, just trust in the process, right? Yeah, totally. Uh, let's see here. Trust in the process. Oh, one, one of the process of transitioning between... Because you guys were like a touring band, right? Like pretty good. What do you got? Like a good 15 minutes? Five oh, minutes? yeah, yeah. yeah. Somebody with messages. Uh, you guys were like a touring band, you know, rocking the scene, right? I mean... Yeah, I mean, so at the time, I mean, we were, I wouldn't say we were a you know, super successful band, but, you know, I, I wanted a tour. and like The goal every, was to make it. Yeah, I mean. I mean, no one does anything for bullshit, right? Know, yeah, right. I mean, I get it. goal isn't to try and sure, get better sure. at what they do. Sure. But, you know, at the same time, my goal was to try and just try and pursue it. Right. And um, I did. You know, I, I went online. I booked all of our tours myself. Right. I booked 42 days in a row around the whole country, all by reaching out to people and communicating by myself. MySpace or email? At the time, all MySpace. Right. Um, MySpace was the greatest because you could literally narrow down bands. The searches were perfect. The genre. That you, State. This, well, by the zip code. Yeah. So you could find a city and say, okay, I'm going to search within 50 miles. I'm going to find the top artists in this genre, and I'm going to message every single one of them and network. And I did that. Me too. Good and, idea. Um, you know, it's not as easy to do that anymore, but you can still do that. Sure. Um, but, you know, again, I wanted to do that. So I did it. And I'm not, you know, nothing against the guys that I played with, but none of them did it. Right. We wouldn't have done it if nobody else would have done it. Sure. But I wanted to. And so we did it. And, you know, at one point, um, two brothers and another guy in the band, it was, you know, in and out of doing it and trying to join the union at the same time. Right. Things just kind of got a little weird as far as trying to control everybody and well-being and, you know, continuing to tour and it right. gets expensive. And, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I just saw opportunity to, to get into recording and, and so I did. Cool, because that, that's uh, where I was trying to get to the transition. fortunate thing is I'm still able to do music now 15 years later, 20 years later. I don't even know how many years it's been, but it's been a while. 2008 you started. Yeah, eight. So, right, fifth, almost 15 years later. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm able to still do it and do it as a career instead of, you know, I'm not sure what some of the other guys are honestly doing anymore. Huh. <laughs> I always liked the bass player. He had a cool bass, good attacking yeah. style. Yeah, he's uh, he always he's played, still my best friend. I still see him all the time. He uh, always played the riffs along with you. Well, sometimes, which I thought was cool and mm -hmm. I liked sonically. Uh, yeah, heck yeah, frick yeah. You, you had like, yeah, I'll we'll get off that. But I remember I did I did appreciate the different screams. I know it might fall deaf on some people's ears, but had the mid, obviously the low, and right. Then, and then you had like probably four all together because there's the one on the first CD. I didn't sound so corny because no one will get the reference, but it's like, you know, and it all comes in. It's like four different, I don't know. Four, four. different tones. Yeah. And one I always, thing I really tried to always do is I try to use my experience hearing notes that I didn't necessarily sing good. Right. But using them in screaming to match the pitch of things. Yeah, because that was one of the questions that I had on here, and I'm glad you brought that up because it would make me assume that you were the predominant writer because the vocals you know it'd be like you know and match the riffs essentially um actually you know it's funny because at the time the way we would write songs would be the guitar player uh the other guitar player would would Mr. show muscles me, yeah it would show me these ideas and i would kind of sit down and, we, and we, i'd learn them with him and then we'd kind of take it to the drummer and kind of rearrange things a little bit and as we did that i would 
just put the songs in my head because at that point there was no way to record like there right. is nowadays. You know, there wasn't you couldn't plug in your laptop sure, or your sure. phone or anything like that. And, and my phone was a piece of shit. I mean, yeah, it didn't didn't record anything. I'll tell you that. Nothing. In fact, at that time, I think my parents wouldn't even pay for the plan to get text messages. Nope. So I, I just yeah, <laughs> I didn't use my phone. You know, and um, to be honest, I mean, I would just literally remember these riffs and I would sit there at work. <laughs> Sorry, boss. I'd sit there at work instead of working, and I would just think about these guitar riffs Where were for you hours. Uh, I was working at a place called Transport Service. Okay. It was like a trucking facility. They got bought out, so they're no longer That's around. That's okay. But, um, yeah. Go over the riffs in your head all so day. So I'd go bam, through bam, the riffs, bam. and I'd sit there, and I would just write lyrics all day, all day long, thinking about something going on in my life and thinking about the guitar riff. And I, I just didn't even care about my job. I would just sit there and do that <laughs> for six hours if I could, you know? And... Um, you know, that that's that's where it all came from, man. Honestly, it was I mean, sure, I played guitar and um I definitely had my suggestions and my my contributions, but you know, he would he would kind of throw up some of these crazier riffs and I would say, "Okay, let me let me figure out how I can write to that." And I it did, you know, and uh at the time it was like a pretty group ever, you know, as far as writing the songs went. I mean, I would say the least involved person was the bass player only because he would kind of just show up and learn what we had put together. Um but he was good in his other ways, you know what I mean? He's good as, live. Well, that and, and he did other things for the band that, that needed to be done. You know, he was he was definitely out there promoting. He was nice. doing other things, you know, going to shows, whatever. So, nice. you know, everybody, as far as I'm concerned, if you're in a band, especially today, you can't have everybody doing all the things. You need to have, it, it needs to be like a, a form effort, of, right? well, it needs to be like a form of government, quote unquote. It, you need to have a branch of each thing. Nice. You don't need four people who write songs. Right. You don't need four people who write lyrics. Right. You don't need four people who run your website. You don't need four people who drive the van. Right. You need somebody who's going to promote and know everything, how to run video, how to run audio, how to be in, you know, uh, promoting things online, running the social media, right. you know, reaching out to fans. You need somebody else who's going to be able to handle selling the merch and organizing everything and getting the things printed and keeping it organized and loading it in and setting up a table. You need somebody to write the songs. You need somebody to handle the business. And those are four separate things that, you know, I tried to do all myself at one point, and you can't. You can't do it all. You literally can't. But if you don't have enough people that can do it together, it's not going to work. And that's where a lot of people fall apart. I've seen it, you know, hundreds and hundreds of times in my studio. One guy's really, really talented, brought a bunch of songs in. Three of the other guys, uh, they barely knew the song coming into the studio. You know, and we're sitting there like, well, he really shouldn't even be recording on it. This Damn. guy should have recorded all the guitar parts and just had the guy play live, you know. And yeah, it, shit. It happens all the time because you just don't see four people on the same dedication level, you know. You know what, that that's... I love a good conversation because it leads me to this question I forgot to write down. If you had to answer, who comes in the most unprepared? Guitar players, bass players, lead guitar players, or vocalists, you think? Or can you do I would least say, prepared to most prepared? Not just Yeah, just the, the I mean, pole. I would say it's it, the most prepared are usually the drummers and the guitar players because the guitar players generally wrote the song. Yeah. And the drummer usually wrote the song with Back him beat. or had to learn everything like pretty meticulously. Yeah, to record it. Right. I mean, I, I have situations where the drummer's not primarily because he's like a friend filling in or something that's not the norm. But generally, the guitar player and the drummer usually are the most prepared. The vocalist usually follows from that point just because um, they've obviously had to write something. But right. a lot of the times it's like, well, I didn't write a part for that. I thought I would do it in the studio or, or some kind of loose end that sure. they go down some stupid road trying to figure out how to tie up 
uh, and the bass player a lot of the times is like the guy who wasn't good enough to play the guitar in the band. Ooh. And, yeah, right. So he's like the, the least prepared person because he's just not really confident. But that's, you know, again, that's not every scenario. Sure. I've got scenarios where bass players blow me out of the water. Yeah. Or, or the, the most talented people I've met, you know. And so definitely not I love a good bass, bass player that loves playing bass, you know. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. There's bass players and a lot of them have a big keyboard influence um, or just a big musical background. And then there's ex-guitar player bass players. There's, right. there's two different divisions in that, and I 100% see both sides of that all the time. One last question about yeah. your personal musical preferences, and this is a question for the ages. Who? <sighs> if you had to choose, you had to choose riffs or breakdowns. If you had to choose a good riff or a good breakdown. Well, if you're going to ask me at 21 or even like 18, the answer is probably going to be the breakdown. Mm -hmm. But nowadays, it would definitely be the riff. Ooh. Yeah, it would definitely be the riff now. Because to me, I've heard so many breakdowns so many different ways true, true, that they true. can only do so many different things for me now that if you have a good riff, the breakdown will, will happen naturally. Right. But if you don't have good riffs and you just have one good breakdown, eh, the song's a waste. That's well, my current opinion. I can I can kind of concur with that. I'd rather have And I just think that's cuz it's overdone. Yeah. You know, I mean Yeah, it's been there. Yeah. Good, yeah. That's a good, yeah. First but, breakdown. I yeah. mean, the way I look at that is like in today's world with with hip hop because hip hop is obviously still very relevant. Sure. Uh looking at hip hop from the early 90s all the way to today, what what makes that song? Is it the lyrics or the beat? Lyrics, right? I, I, that's, I'm asking you that question. Yeah, I would say the lyrics. You know, right, and, and I would probably agree with that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, again, that beat could change everything. But in my, in my opinion, you know, hip-hop music, it, it, it's been the same. It's just the, the production has gotten better and better and better and better and better. You know, the lyrics have still kind of been kind of centered around the same ideas. Yeah, kind of bullshit, actually, um, unfortunately. Well, whatever. But, I mean, everybody's got their own opinion. But, sure. you know, I, I guess for me, it's, it's the fact that, like, the lyrics make the song popular but the production has kind of just continued to grow and with metal like i feel like it's it's kind of been the same mm -hmm. um, but the lyrics are a lot less focused on because you can't always understand them true so the riffs to me are the lyrics of a metal song to a point true you know what oh, i mean yeah good point yeah, yeah like uh... I, i'm not saying that they are but no, you know, yeah, and, yeah. And, and some of my metal friends are going to roll over there in their grave right now and tell me i'm an idiot because they you know they they love this singer and the, his concept so i'm not knocking any metal singers but what i'm getting at here is that you know the the general ear is going to hear a metal song you know lamb of god or trivium sure. or yeah. as i lay dying or yeah. whoever it is metallica it doesn't matter what what yeah, age group we're talking yeah, about and they're going to hear the riffs now metallica is a little bit more audible lyrics yeah but you know the first few you mentioned for sure. Yeah, you know, Ashley or Slipknot or something. You know, yeah, you know it's yeah. like a lot of these these lyrics are just screaming and they're heavy. And it's not that you don't listen to the lyrics, but a lot of times the song being catchy yeah. is what makes you listen to the song. You're basically again going off the again. cadence of the guitar almost. Exactly. Like, then, right. Yeah. Good you know? point. So to me, like in metal, a lot of the times those riffs speak to the crowd versus like in hip hop. You know, people don't listen to hip hop and go, that hi-hat's speaking to me. Yeah, sure. You know, I mean, they might go, this, Some people, this song bumps hard. There's a ton of low end on this song. Yeah. If you hear that one on the subs, it, it cranks. Okay, fine. I'll agree with that. But like, most people don't break down the layers of a hip hop track and go be like, that synth is what made it good. They're going to say the lyrics are what made it good, you know, or, or or that flow or that feature or the way Drake did his voice on this song or the way, you know, Nicki Minaj talked about this or whatever. It doesn't True. matter. But True. I'm just saying, you know, that's 
that's what people gets people's attention or, you know, the offensiveness of Cardi B or whatever. Sure, sure. That's yeah, what yeah, makes yeah. people listen to it. It's not, you know, the synth tone or the hi-hat, you know. Granted, somebody put some really hard work into that, and that's sure. why that artist purchased that beat. For sure. But in my opinion, metal is kind of a different world. You know, the, the lyrics are important. Don't get me wrong. But that riff is what speaks to people just as much. So to me, when you say the breakdown of the riff, just to kind of close that door, yep. uh, the riff still hooks people in. It's still, Much it's still the door. fishing line. You know, it's the fishing line that reels people in, even if the bait is a breakdown. Nice. Ooh, yeah. that's a, I'm going to go back. We'll clip that one. Yeah. If the bait <laughs> is a breakdown. Uh, cool. So here we are, the Nook. We're, we're transitioning to the studio. The Nook. Yes, sir. Uh, 2008, made the plunge. The Nook, is there... Uh, are you, are you, do you have like a significant other or anything? I do. Do you call her the cranny? No, except, you know, I will say this on a total side note, new Lennox people, there's like five businesses in new Lennox. Now that it popped up, there was a nook and cranny. There was the nurse's nook. I keep seeing these pl- places pop up around Got here. Got my but, eye on you guys. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm watching you all. So, you know, yeah, I was better suspect. watch out. Yeah. Suspect. I have a, yeah. I'll keep a lookout for it. I think too. I'm the OG nook here in town. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you got in here. This is your third studio? My license I applied for in 2010 here. It's my third studio. So yeah. Really? So I've been here in New Lenox for you know 11 years. First Instagram post was uh, for the nook recording studio was June 23rd, 2013. Sure. Yeah. It had 18 likes, but don't worry. I gave it one. So you have 19 you likes Perfect. now. And it was a picture of some badass drums in the room. That was actually the drummer from Lost Anthology's drums. See? Cool. Um, the studio, you designed it, laid it out to suite all the men- uh, you know, has the suite of all the amenities for recording, mixing, and mastering, correct? Yes, sir. Um, so do you do like framework and all that kind of crap? Or how did you, if you can kind of tell us the layout or, you know. Layout's a little hard to explain. That's what I was so, saying. Right? Yeah. Basically, what I did was I took a detached garage and I turned it into a complete live room. Okay. And I ran piping underground up into a house and created a mix room. And then below that in the basement, I created isolation rooms and an apartment. So I've got like an entire lower level that's completely dedicated to housing clients from out of town with isolation rooms, vocal booth rooms, amp rooms. They're all wired upstairs into a control room that has all the mixing and mastering tools in it. It is also wired outdoors, underground, out to a separate room that I can record a band live or drums, and I will hear absolutely no noise in the control room when I'm mixing. So I can be recording a drummer playing live and EQing, and I'm not hearing anything through a window or feeling any vibrations through a floor. I'm 150 feet away, 100% quality, no loss of cabling, um, and I'm in full control of that. So, you know, it's definitely a more unique layout, uh, but I wanted that. I wanted to have the control, the isolation, um, and, and I didn't want to be on top of everybody. I wanted to kind of have separate space. Which is awesome. And, and it's it's a cool creative space. It's not, you know, it's not like um, coming in a place like this and, and, you know, being around a bunch of people and sure. you know, everybody's nine to five and there's a window to see the band play and, you know, go do your thing and go. You know, it, it's, it's convenient for me. I get a lot of, you know, Hey, can you change this and send it to me? Can you do If I, every time I had to drive to work to make a, a you know, a, a correction for somebody that asked me, I, I would live at my job. I right. basically do live at my job, well, yeah, but yeah, you, at well, least granted. at this point I have a little bit of freedom, you know? So it was definitely a, a, a change of pace. Uh, as far as building it goes, I mean, 
So I grew up, my grandfather's a lot of, did a lot of construction work. So, awesome. you know, I, I learned a lot from them. Um, and so I, at that point, this was my third place. So the first thing I had built a little, little nook at my mom's house nice, in the basement. Nice. That's where I started recording That's how bands you got the name in the or beginning. Or <laughs> the, name, the name kind of comes from uh, a guy I worked with and me. We combined our names and it just ended up being Nook. But, you know, it is what it is. Um, but anyway, so long story short, yeah. So, I, you know, we framed out these different rooms and, and did a lot of work. And, you know, some of it was pretty heavy duty and some right. of it was, uh, you know, simple, basic stuff. But, you know, everything's up to code and done great. And, you know, at this point, I've been there 11 years and, you know, um, I can't complain. You know, I've never had a complaint about it from anybody. You nice. Know? Yeah, it looks, I mean, for obviously it doesn't really give it justice, but it's, a beautiful facility. I don't know if facility is the right word, but, you know, studio, either sure, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I consider it just, you know, it, it is a home studio. You know, it's, right. it's nothing more than that. And, and to be honest, you know, in the world we live in today, you can have a great home studio and you don't need more than that. You know, I mean, and COVID was the first, I mean, anybody who watched the news last year saw, you know, and granted, I'm not these huge artists, but you saw all these big artists last year. What were they doing performing on the news virtually from their home studios Zoom meetings. and and they were sounding as good as they did when they were on Jimmy Fallon right. or Jay Leno sure. or any of those other shows. Because the reason why is because we've just, we've progressed. We've gotten to that point now where the technology has met up with the home studio. Sure. Are there some acoustic things? Are there some things people can do to enhance it? Absolutely. It's not going to just be perfect in a, in a, you know, buy this and you're good to go. But it is just the technology and the equipment and, you know, the knowledge is so available now that to me, home studio is no longer the, you know, 40 year old uncle who still has some stuff down in his basement. You right. can run up a, a legitimate 100%, you know, whether you're making 50,000, 100,000 or 10 million a year, you can do all of that out of your home studio. In my opinion, these days, you don't, yeah. you don't need more than that. There you go. So anyone that's listening that thinks that you do need more than that, Proof is right here. So uh, I, I don't know if, yeah, I would like to ask, you know, there's a probably a million dollars worth of equipment in there or whatever, but is- I wish uh, there was. <laughs> what What is probably the biggest thing, the the board? Um, yeah, I would, I mean, you know, at this point I've been purchasing odds and ends for- That's what I kind of like, writing the question. I was for like, 20 like, years I've been buying music equipment. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, maybe longer than that, because when I started playing guitar, I was in fifth grade, you know? Right, but, right. So I've got a long, long, long accumulation, a list of, of equipment. And some of it, I, 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 I'll be honest, I probably have a lot more, but I, I do my best because of today's technology to buy and sell as fast as possible. Sure. You know, think of it as your phone. You go out, you buy your phone- if you've had your phone for one year, you most likely can trade that phone in and get half the value or a little bit more than half the value of that phone back and go buy another phone. Some people think, why would you buy an iPhone every year? That's stupid. That's a lot of money. Well, right, I'll tell right. you right now, if you buy an iPhone in August and next August you trade that iPhone in and you get $750 back and you buy another iPhone basically for another 300 bucks, in the long run, you're not throwing $1,200 in the garbage every two and a half years. Right. So, you know, with me, I do a lot of the same thing. I buy the newest, most modern technology the day it comes out or I pre-order it or whatever I do. Sometimes right. I get it for a better price than what it comes out at sweet, and it goes sweet. up and I'll try and sell it within two years to get my money back. So basically I've rented it for a year or two for 
couple hundred bucks. Least it almost. Exactly. You know, except, you know, but the thing is, is it doesn't cost me a whole lot to do that then at that point, you know, and especially with all the How flexible. How did you accumulate that information just by trial and error? Or nah, just yeah, yeah. It's just that was my method that's of awesome. thinking. That's awesome. That's a you know? great, you know, that's a My method smart. of thinking was if I buy this brand new guitar amp, you know, that it's, it's let's say it's $2,000 and I buy it right now. Nobody has one. Everybody wants to come in and check it out. I'm going to book some extra sessions with it. And a year from now, when everybody else starts talking about how popular it is and everybody starts seeing them and the prices are pretty much still consistently right there, there yeah. you know, they're not going down. That's when I say, okay, I'm going to sell one used with all my presets. So people are getting a bonus on top of it. You know, nice, Nick, nice. Nick's already done all this and, and made this thing more optimal for me. Hell yeah. And I know it runs good. I use it in the studio because I got so many connections and, uh, you know, I could usually sell it for right around the price I paid for it you know, two years later. And so, you know, and then I buy the, the next latest and greatest thing where basically I've gotten it for free for two years, you know, or, or for minimal amounts of money. And so when you, when you have that mentality, you can kind of stay ahead of the curve because otherwise it used to be an investment. You know, buy a guitar for $2,000, you know, the clients could use it. It sounded really good on the recordings. Okay, now I don't want it anymore. I could probably sell for $1,800. You can't do that with this digital equipment. You buy a phone or a laptop or a digital guitar amp, what are you going to do with it in five years? Nobody wants it. Right. It's garbage. Right. So you spend $2,000 and threw in the garbage. You ain't going to get eight hundred. decoration almost. Right. Exactly. So so you have to be thinking modern technology meets modern thinking when it comes to what you're investing in when it comes to that. And you had one of the questions you had asked me is, do I use a lot of plugins or hardware? Right, right. Thank and you. And I will tell you right now, I definitely use a lot of plugins. Um, I've, I've kind of found that... The my biggest issue with the hardware is the time. Time is money, and um, what do you mean time? Well, time is money, like and so let's say I'm doing a mix and uh, I'm running everything through a hardware, okay? Mm -hmm. And I spit it all out, and we're doing this. Somebody calls me, hey, we want to change this a little bit. We want this to sound sound a little bit different, or right. we'd like you to change the levels. Um, sometimes it was something I've printed, and you know I could just go back in on the DAW and change it. It's no big deal. Other times, I would actually have to do all the tweaks I want to do, replay all the music through the hardware, record it back in. We're talking about the difference between me reopening a session, making a simple tweak to the mastering, re-exporting it and resetting it to a client in 15 to 20 minutes versus making a tweak to the mastering, re-exporting it to the hardware, pulling all the settings, writing it all down or, you know, pulling all the written down settings, right, right. dialing it all in, spitting it out through, recording it back in, sending it all off. Now I've spent an hour and a half. And I'm going to choose at that point, the clients, if they're on a limited budget, what am I going to do? Am I going to piss them off and tell them they owe me more money? Or am I going to tell them, okay, I got you and I got it done in 15 minutes. So yeah, I chose to stick with the plugins. I find that the 2% difference or the 5% difference depends on whose ear it is and how much they want to argue. I don't want to right, argue. Right. Uh, I found that that difference does not matter to a lot of people. It does to high-end clients, but then those high-end clients, they can go to a studio that's got that high-end gear. Everybody else, they just want to save money. So who's going to get burned? No one. No so one. Yeah. I'm going to stick with plugins. You oh, know, yeah. I don't have enough time in my day to to do all that and get burned. And I and they don't have extra money or time to pay for it. So it's a win win situation if I stick with the plugins. So I generally stick to mostly plugins. Um, they've become so valued at this point that for basically thirty five dollars a month on a rental plan that I pay, right? Um, via various different companies. I'm basically operating my whole business. You know, I mean, not necessarily. I buy other ones for 100 bucks, 200 bucks, whatever here and there. I'm not, don't get me wrong, but you know, um realistically they yes, they are a waste of money to a point, but at the same time I use them every day as a tool. So, they're not. 
Yeah. You know, it's just like anything else. They become, you know, version two becomes version five and everyone's an upgrade cost along the way. And before you you know it, you never look at number one, two or three ever again. So at that point, they're not much of an investment. And I realize that. But generally, my entire plug in chain costs less than one piece of hardware does. So still the way to the go. Practicality of it is right. just over. And I can do it anywhere. I can do it on a laptop. I can do it on my DAW. I can take it with me where I go. You know, I can save a preset and bring it over to my buddy's place and open up the preset there. I can do whatever I want. Not even you know? a question, it seems like. Right, yeah. yeah. You know, I don't got to care around cabling and all these other different things. It just adds up. You know, one Plus the maintenance. Other general upkeep? Well, yeah, cost of tubes. Yeah. Or as soon as all of a sudden you start hearing a fizzing or a buzzing, the cost of taking that to Deltronics and sure. spending, you know, 50 bucks for them to look at it and Diagnose 100 bucks more to fix yep. some things. And, you know, it, it just practically makes more sense to these this point it kind of sounds like it's would not be dumb to do the other way right but yeah i'm glad i was yeah curious about that. somebody's then. gonna come find this and they're gonna kill me over that no, yeah <laughs> and then um if you could because i'm sure you're on a time crunch here i have to ask if you can explain mixing and mastering mixing obviously is what it sounds like i mean maybe you know just obviously for lack of better words setting the levels of the track to make them sound good for the client's you know, what have you. And then mastering, is it a lot more than just making the track louder and clearer? Or um, from what I'm called, it's like, it, like, I know we used this reference earlier. Mastering is just turning the tubes on and bringing it to the forefront maybe, or? I, I don't know, man. It depends on who you ask. I mean, here's the deal. Mastering is an art. It's, it's, it's very so an art. Um, to me, there's two ways of looking at it. The best way for me to put it for the average listener who doesn't do my job is that the Instagram filter is mastering. Um, and, and some people might roll over on that, but here's the reality in my opinion. Uh, the recording process is, is as follows. Choosing the location of taking a photo and bringing in props is the idea of recording. Having the photographer there who knows which lens to use and what angle and what exposure of light and, um, you know, what going from above or from below or on a 45 or with a fisheye, taking that photo with the props that the engineer brought in and the location that the engineer chose is kind of your mix, uh, if that makes any sense. So, so again, recording, mm -hmm. I chose this location with that bicycle and mixing, I chose to use this fisheye camera and shoot it from a 45-degree angle with a blue backlight. Got it. And then you get to your mastering, and now I've been given this photo. Right. I can't change the location of the photo. I can't change what's in the photo. Can't change the lighting. I can't do anything. Right. But I can make the photo look better with a general move. Okay. So I can maybe put an opacity color filter on it, or I can make it look more, like again, like Instagram. Sure. You've got a photo. You can't change that photo on Instagram, but you can choose a filter that makes it look sure. brighter or darker. Yep. Or, Exposure. Or, yeah, or what and have you. you can add a little hue of a color or yeah. whatever you want to do. And so to me, that's what mastering, to me, that's what mastering is. Mastering is taking a mix that you can't change what's inside. You can't change the sound of the snare. You can't change the sound of the guitar. You can't make the vocalist sound better. Now, there are some tweaks and tricks out there, don't get me wrong, but sure, I'm sure. just saying the general process. Right. And, and that's taking that Instagram filter and coloring that photo how you think it's going to look best on every user's applications. Nice. So not on your iPhone, but on an iPad, an iPhone, a laptop, a 4K display, 
uh, you know, a, a mini laptop, something that's on a little kid's, you know, uh, switch. It doesn't matter. But where is it going to look best on all of those displays? Not yours, all of them. And also at a minimal brightness, a maximum brightness, you know, all those things you don't think about, but it does make a difference because the job as the mastering engineer is not to master it for their personal preference. Right. It's to make it balanced on all of those things as best as possible. So whether you're listening to music off your phone speaker, off of your flip four over there, off of, you know, $10,000 Genelec speakers or in your car or on a golf cart that you guys sell here at, um, safer wholesale. Safer wholesale. Yeah, there you go. Uh, you know, wherever it is that you're listening to it, it's going to sound the best that it can. Right. And it's not going to be blowing out the subs or too harsh or too trebly and you can't hear the vocals or something like that. So that's essentially what mastering is, you know, just to kind of summarize that. No, that was awesome. You know, it's not necessarily um, the most in-depth thing. You can sometimes get away with a few few small moves and it's ready to go. Um, but other times, you know, it, it, it's what's nice about a mastering engineer versus somebody like me who generally does all mixing and mastering himself is you get that second pair of ears. It's like, OK, in Nick's studio, he chose to do this, but I think it's a little harsh. I'm going to bring these highs down and boost these lows and these right. mids kind of warm it up a little bit. And so, you know, I do think it is important when you have the budget and the team and the effort to, like, get multiple people involved, especially if, if the mastering engineer has a bigger name. And sure. you can kind of use that as also one more resume booster. Um, Lord but, Algae over You know, there. right. But when I get like a local client and they're like, should we spend a lot of money to have somebody master it? And I say, well, you're still learning. Your songs maybe aren't quite up to par with radio, you know, right, right. listening. Not the quality necessarily recording wise, but just, you know, maybe they don't sing as good or they yeah, don't yeah. have good harmonies That's or something right, yeah. yet. Where I just don't think it's worth that investment to go there. So I'll say, no, don't do that. I'll, I'll get it done for you in less than an hour. It's going to cost you 40 bucks nice. for your masters. Don't go spend $1,000 to have somebody master your five songs. Perfect. You know, so that's kind of how I sum up mastering. You know, it, Which is awesome. Thank you so much. Various levels. You know, obviously being in the bands forever, you always like heard about that. And I have two more quick questions and we'll yeah. get you out of here. Um, on June 1st, 2018, you were quoted to say... Fortunate to still be the same weirdo I was when I was 19 when I started this. Does that still apply? Are you still, in fact, the same weirdo? Yeah, absolutely, man. I'm, cool. uh, you know, again, I think that's that's part of um, me saying I'm, I'm fortunate that, you know, in my situation, since I didn't have kids, and I'm not going to keep playing it on that, but I will, you know, I, I've got pretty much the same lifestyle I had when I started this. You know, I'm, I wake up. Not as up, many beer bongs? Eh, you know, it depends on which one of my friends is in town. Ah, yeah, it, it, yeah, I will never turn it down. Cool, you know? cool, cool. Yeah, that, I haven't grown out of that one yet. Sure. Maybe when I'm 40. Uh, but no, yeah, for the time being, you know, I, I yeah, I wake up, I do my thing. I still, you know, I still love doing music. I still love listening to it. I still enjoy having bands come over from out of town. And, you know, sometimes it's, you know, like everything else, sometimes you wake up and you got 10 strangers that have been in your house throughout the past two days and you're like, I could just use a day off. But, you know, in general, I wake up and I still really like that feeling of like I'm, people I don't know are coming here and songs I've never heard. And in 24 hours or in 72 hours, I'm going to turn them from something to something even greater. And I, I just like that challenge, you know, and, and, and I'm not one to ever be able to do the same thing twice. I, you know, I might record your band tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And you could come in with the exact same song in six months from now. And even if I wrote down everything I did, it will not sound the same. That's art, right? And and right. And that's just because I don't want to do anything the same. Right. I've got no interest in doing it the same. So, you know, I think that's a part of what I like about it is that I'm not like withheld to this certain, you know, quality 
control where I, you know, I have to do this this way every single day and, and put these things together this exact way and get it on the HR belt. HR might get come out. get you. If you right. Know, yeah. yeah. I mean, and I'm not saying that I don't worry about my quality, but all I'm saying is that, you know, I, I just, today I don't feel like doing that. So I'm going to try this instead. Nice. Well, dude, that was freaking awesome. Um, if anyone wanted to reach you, it's the Nook record, the Nook Studio.com. Uh, I think it's the Nook Recording Studio.com is the website. Please hit uh, my Instagram is probably the best place to hit me up. Instagram.com sure. slash the Nook Recording Studio. Uh, or Google me. I'm I'm around. Yeah, you know? if you Google the Nook Recording Studio, everything comes up. All of his projects that he's done in the past. Um Besides that, yeah, I appreciate it, dude. That was a great time. Yeah, thanks for having and me, man. And then, uh, Good yeah. talking about I'll, some old school days. Yeah, heck yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah, man, definitely.